You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McCuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Many of you will have seen Clark McFarlane's alter ego, Mario Queen of the Circus, at the Edinburgh Festival or at festivals all over the world in the smash hit shows Le Clique or La Soiree. He's a top-level variety-slash-comedy act and he's absolutely standing ovation brilliant. So here is Clark McFarlane. So, Clark, thank Hello. you for coming uh, onto the show. Thanks for um, asking me, Stu. You are better known as Mario Queen of the Circus. That's true. And I was just saying, you're, um, other than uh, the fabulous Phil Burgers, uh, you are one of the first non-stand-up stand-ups that I've had on the show. So I, I think a lot of people who've been to Edinburgh can't have missed you. I think a lot of people will go, who is this Clark McFarlane? And then they'll go, oh, it's that guy. Yeah. So tell us in your own words what the character of Mario is and the work you've um, been doing with him. I call him a pansexual fan of Queen. Um, he's sort of Freddie Mercury's biggest fan, so he takes all his style cues from Freddie Mercury. So he dresses like the leather daddy with a mustache and cop cap with a metal chain. And he speaks with a Spanish accent, and it's like as if he's sort of learned his English from rock and roll music. I mean, he's really uh, um, doesn't speak English very well, and, and he. Um, uh, and you know he he's a character that I really love to do because it's it there is there is a lot of um, kind of innocence about him and which allows him and total sexual unrepression unrep- mm-hmm. so that allows him to be sort of racy in a in a very subversive way. Uh, so I can do very blue kind of stuff, but he's just so innocent about he's it. He's so innocent, he's so naive, isn't yeah. he? He can do jokes about ecstasy without it, the drug ecstasy, yeah. without it seeming dirty or, or yeah, seedy yeah. at all. Exactly, and it's not, and there's, there's, he, he inhabits a completely fantasy world of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but he's like a little child doing it. And, and he's as also, and I also like, the thing I really like to, about him that I, <laughs> I'd better like it, because it's all I've been doing for the last five years, but, um, is that he he glorifies Freddie Mercury, yeah, and that is that 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 makes him by nature extremely low status because he's sort of a fan. So that's his sort of flaw, his weakness. Oh, he's yeah. a he's a real fan, uh, um, you know, the the put on the pedestal kind of thing. And I relate to that because I'm a fan of of not necessarily Queen, but uh, 
uh, things and music, and sure. I, I put things on pedestals, and I, you know, I go see my favorite. Have you seen this? This is amazing. Yes, yeah, exactly. okay. Yeah. I, I get really swept away by things, and um, so that's his 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 shtick, and um, which makes him very low status in a way. So therefore, he can kind of also be a um, a rock star, uh, and sort of unironically put himself in the position in front of a crowd as as this big kind of character and, and I get away with that and you know with the, you know, I end my shows with the crowd surfing mm-hmm. and the people carry me and that's a very sort of like um, you know the sort of rock god thing to do sure. but he could get he could do it because he's already so sort of um, he, he's submissive he's a subservient he's, he's like uh it, it, it's it's all in the glory of, of Freddie Mercury. It's, okay. it's sort of like um, it's it's like a, a the way a minister can have a big personality or something, a big ego kind of style personality. But it's all for Jesus, you know. Yeah, that, sure. That, okay. So he can be with the crowd in that way. And um, so yeah, so it's a real pleasure to be both a rock star and trying to be also a, a silly clown as well. So sure. And the, and the, the context in which you've been working for, for people that haven't seen you is you've been in La Soiree, which is the yeah. which followed Le Clique. Were you in Le Clique as well? Le Clique and La Soiree, yeah. Had a little name change, a little little fighting, a little producer fighting at the top. No sure. big deal. Everybody's fine. Okay. <laughs> um, and that's and but I've also seen you, I think I first met you when you were doing that show on the street. Yes. As a, yeah. a sort of forty five minute to an hour festival street show. Right. So and a, and a busking show. street show as well. Yeah, also a busking street show. Most of the work I do solo with that show is is like paid festivals in, in the European outdoor sure. uh, festival scene. Which means you're not collecting the money right, in the house for, for busking. Yeah. But um, I still love to busk with that show. Um, and um, yeah, it's, I've been I've been really lucky because that, that character kind of fit in. And when I first started doing the one this one juggling number, which started the whole thing, which was mm-hmm. where I derived the entire concept just by juggling three balls to the song Another One Bites the Dust, Ha ha ha! Get it? Um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> you say that, but I, I took and I, and I should say this as well for people that haven't seen this. I'm often bringing guests to this podcast that yeah. people are aware of, and maybe others that some are less aware of. But you know, it's easy for you to sort of sit there and go, ah, ha ha! Yeah. It's an incredible act. It smashes it. It's certainly, every time I've ever seen you work, people have been on their feet going crazy. Yeah, it's for a, your it, act. It, it crosses over. And what I really, when I came up with the act, I was really afraid of it. Uh, okay. When, when I first started to do it. And that's a that's I've realized in creating is a really good feeling to have about an act. In what way were you afraid? I was afraid it was the stupidest thing I could possibly do in public. I was okay. alone in my room and I was in my apartment in New York and I, I, I had was choreo- choreographing a... He was just a bartender in a show I was in, this leather daddy. And I just okay. thought this, the bass line for Another Bites the Dust would play and I would do some bar tricks with bottles. Okay. Sort of a little manipulation thing. And he wouldn't speak. He was just, or he, if he spoke, it was like to take a drink order. I mean, he was just in the show as this other character. And, um, and then the music was playing through and I had looped it with the bass line. But then I was, the, the song, you know, after five loops on this little mini disc, edit I made it would go into the song again mm-hmm. and, and it would start to do the lyrics and then I started to sort of play with the lip sync Okay. and then I was like working with three balls with it just because it started to get boring with the bottles and then I, th- I just touched it like it was fire I went oh my god if I do a three ball routine yeah dressed like this guy yeah lip syncing that music yeah I felt like a girl alone in her bedroom singing into a book. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, okay completely like this is so humiliatingly weird like I I was afraid of it in that moment. I was like, no, 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 no. Oh, my God. And then it was like, okay, hang on. 
this is either like embarrassing or totally awesome. Yes. And I felt that a lot. I felt a lot of. I've done a lot of acts since then that that uh, that has fallen completely on the side of embarrassing. But have you been have you been chasing that same thing? Have you been thinking to yeah, yourself, "Hey, maybe I, I should go towards what I find humiliating." Well, it wasn't the first time I created an entire concept around a skill set. Okay. So, like when I started when I was juggling clubs, um, uh, I sort of designed the, the the mood and style to go with this that that became my old double act Planet Banana okay. which was like kitschy and it was just like it, it uh, yeah so and then and then um, just because juggling is so you got to see what the audience is seeing yeah um, and, and juggling is is not I, I'm never impressed by juggling myself and and I certainly don't expect an audience to, to be impressed by juggling a refreshing attitude for yeah. juggling <laughs> yeah sure yeah I think it's because I, I learned when I was very young and, yeah. um, and a lot of guys learn when they're teens and it's like the thing they can do and they it's it's like I learned before I had hair on my nuts so um, it was like I, for the longest time I, I mean I could really understand what how what an audience sees when they when they see juggling which is sure uh you know, which is they see something in front of a performer that they would like to see, and yeah, that's really okay. a boring thing to to watch. It's like uh, it's like someone folding a sheet of of uh, laundry for your entertainment, but very quickly. And sure, but very quickly. I, and I, I, I can say as well. I don't know how many fans of juggling there are. Certainly, in the UK, there are no famous jugglers. People no. aren't. People equate it with it's kind of a loser skill. Yeah. But at the same time, it does make people watch. And we know from our own yeah. experience of the street performing and circus performing, yeah. people do go mental over juggling. Yeah, yeah. It's a weird thing that street performing. I mean, because I don't think they realise that they, they, people steal stuff. In street performing world, people steal stuff because they see it working. But yeah. the juggling—it's not what you're—that's not what you're stealing. Sure, like that—that that, you could literally do anything and do the rest of it. Yeah, it doesn't matter that you're juggling torches. I mean, and it—it's such a funny, limiting little world that happens sometimes with that. You juggling, just need no one watch juggling, but it suddenly came out of as yeah. the, the thing to do as on yeah. the street. It's show. the thing you can do whilst you're doing something else, like you're balancing on a rope or a unicycle. Right, to make everyone. If you look. do a thing which basically you blow up a bag and pop it, then they go, "Oh, now we clap." Exactly, yeah. same thing. But it's funny you should mention folding a sheet. I, uh, I saw one of those things that go around the internet of um, you know actual advice tips that are little gifts or yeah. photos, and they say you know why not put a drinking straw through the little circle in the can of in the the opener on your can of soda, and it'll hold it in there, right. stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. one of them, I actually I got I laughed out loud, and Carl said what, and I got up and showed it this morning was um, uh, a GIF image of someone folding a T-shirt in such a way that you just put, you take it here and here and you go floop and it's folded. Wow. And I was like, whoa, check this out. So I did have that similar, just you say folding a sheet. Yeah, yeah. There is a pleasure in watching someone <laughs> exactly. move something. Yes, know, absolutely. It's a visceral thing. You're watching things fly around. It's, there's some, it, there, it's not, I'm not in, unimpressed by juggling. That's extreme. Um, but I will say, uh, it's, it's the same feeling I get from watching someone play scales on a guitar. It's like, wow, understand. look at those fingers move. But you need to play music. I mean, sure. to really... To, that's to, a brilliant analogy, yeah, okay. And, and that's what that's what a juggling becomes. Um, and so, yeah, so I looked at it as sort of as a three-dimensional thing. So with the clubs, it was like this cheesy sort of kitschy dude, and then with the, with the balls, this rhythmic, you know... Um, with that, with that song and the whole costume concept that came along with doing lip syncing to to Queen, um, and now I have this character who's hula hooping. Okay. And since I look like such a dork hula hooping, it's not it's not a sensual, sexy thing like most hula hoopers. Um, 
no matter how hard I try, <laughs> just gotta face fact. Uh, I am a, I'm sort of this goth sort of character, sort of a, a, a skinny jeans rocker dude. Okay. Uh, who's very awkward. And so, uh, so that's sort of, uh, like coming from the skill set to the characters is what I like to do because then it, because then they can sort of exist, 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 and then when they do the skill set, it's like, oh wow, uh, that really sure. fits that thing. I really like, want to see like, you being a goth hula hooping. Oh, I can just that. tell you, yeah, already. I'm like, yeah, that's totally gonna work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a funny. Yeah, I want to. It's too bad. I'm a little bit. I'm getting older though. Those goth guys are all really young. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of this character as a younger dude, but like, I have to wear makeup or something. There's some old. There's some old goth pictures of old goths available online. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, Kiss fans yeah. and well, I know that's they're not goths, yeah. but. You know, there's definitely that. So I, I think that's interesting what you said about um, uh, the juggling being what's in front of the performer. Yeah. Because you, I mean, you, the juggling isn't your only act. There's obviously you do a, a crowd surf to We Are The Champions. Yeah. And you do the uh, unicycle. You ride a unicycle with a member of the audience balanced on your shoulders. Right, right. So, sure. so you're, you're doing skills, but ultimately what we're watching is you kind of doing anything. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what's nice also about the characters because it fits in that my limitations as a performer exist in sort of like I do have these skills that I learn and I, I want to present them um, a context for presenting them for the audience to not just think okay now whatever we whatever he was doing now now he's doing the skill yeah. <clears throat> the context with the music of Queen and just me being a complete uh, buffoon or not to be not, not buffon sure <laughs> buffoon sure yeah colloquial um, uh, it, it it fits that I do these skills. Like yeah. it, it fits Mario to because he is the queen of the circus. Mm-hmm. Um, so and and that's that's a nice thing to play with. So and um, um, and kind of endless. I mean, I have this other street show that I've been trying. So I have a, this second show and it's just mm-hmm. going really really slowly. But um, but it's sort of endless. I mean, Queen wrote twenty albums. So yeah. the, the ironic lyric use of the music it just doesn't end. So, so you, uh, you wrote another show for Mario, for yes. the same character. So yeah. what, what sort of things have you put in that show? Um, well, I first I become... Um, uh, I'm, Antonio Banderas meets with me and says that if I use the skills of the circus and the music of Queen and, and his sexy accent, that I'll become the Queen. But I'm first the prince. Okay. And then I meet the Queen, who's a volunteer from the audience, and then she picks me as a volunteer, and then I kill her. Okay. <laughs> so, um, and become the queen by murder and treachery. Okay. And so it's sort of an epic story. It's very ridiculous. Uh, and it's, it's hit and miss. It's, I mean, it's taken me a long time to get it together. It's, I call it the new show. People are like, another one? I'm like, no. Same new show I was working on four years ago. Sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, at least you're not in that thing that, you, that we can identify with a lot of uh, street and variety performers where people go, have you seen my new show? Yeah. And what I mean is, I'm wearing a different hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, true. There is. Let's repackaging. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the verbal stuff that you do as well, yeah. because you're not just a circus performer, and I don't, I don't mean just a circus performer. You're not yeah. simply a circus performer, but you've also got. I mean, you really do straddle the line of stand-up comedy. I can't imagine I'll have many other jugglers on this show. You know, you, you've got some very strong stand-up skills and one-liners. Thank you, Stu. Um, yeah, I play to my limitations, like I said, and I'm not a great juggler and I'm not a great stand-up, so I need to stand-up. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I really love, I've always been a massive fan of stand-up comedy. Um, and in, when I was 10 years old, I auditioned for a professional theater production of, uh, of A Christmas Carol. Okay. And uh, everyone else was reading poems or doing some kind of, you know, they were doing their 10-year-old 
um, Stanley Kalowski or whatever. And uh, I did a stand-up bit. I did okay. uh, two minutes of this airplane humor act that I got off the radio that my okay. brother and I were like worshipping this radio show every Sunday called um, uh, The Comedy Hour. And okay. it was two hours, and we had uh, uh, we would record it right next to the radio, and just we just so it was all those acts, and um, all the Fireside Theater and and uh, Mel Brooks and Woody Allen and um, 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 the uh, Still and Muir and um, Bob and Ray, you know, all these these great like classic kind of things. That was that was just we worshipped that stuff as fans putting it on a pedestal. Sure. And um, so I got the part of Tiny Tim. And in that show was a guy called Seth Herzog, who I went to school with, and is and he's a uh, New York comic, and he okay. runs a show called Sweet in the um, in downtown, and and um, yeah, it was so. From then on, like it was just all about um, you know being this this fan and touching the world once in a while by doing uh, uh, shows in New York and stuff as Mario, okay. talking. And um, and just yeah, feeling actually really welcomed by that downtown scene actually, sure. really, um, uh, which was not the case. I just had a conversation with a bunch of variety performers who were sort of sliding stand up, and you know, just as a way of like when they perform in those that in those venues, they they, yeah. they get like attitude backstage or something, or, or sure. just like oh, props comedy or, or your yeah, costume a, and stuff. Totally, there's a lot of that. There's a yeah. lot of that in comedy. I think stand ups yeah. are very insecure about their own art, and yeah. so if something it's very very, I think standups are often very quick to judge if something isn't really what we do. You wouldn't, right? Yeah, you, that, you're not out there doing what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. There's a dogma to follow, and, and I mean, I've never follow dogma in any area of my life so I don't uh, I'm not a, you know strictly like I said a strict juggler or a strict stand up or, or a clown or a, anything but uh, but uh, I, I I didn't find that to be the case at all and the, the epic the, during the, the time that I was in New York uh, we were advertising our that theater show where, mm-hmm. where um, Mario was a was the bartender and um we were right around the corner from this show called Invite Them Up with Eugene Merman and Bill Bobby okay. Tilsdale. So okay. I would go on stage to do my juggling act and then start to talk beforehand and uh, to, to introduce it. And that was the first time I'd ever gone on stage where people didn't know I was going to juggle. Like all of the oh, okay. shows and everything, okay. all through that thing, I would always, it was so obvious. You come probably, out you go, I'm a juggler. I'm a juggler. Sure. I mean, or there's juggling things just sitting there or whatever. Yeah. And, and this is the first time I, I was on the mic, right, standing out in front of people uh, without um, without them knowing I was going to juggle and trying to win first on that that how thing. was that that was the, I was shitting myself I mean it was amazing it was like it was and I that was probably the really the time that I touched stand up the most because it was like oh my god and then to say something and then for everyone to laugh and then the yeah. light is there and just this laugh comes and you just it's like this total like heroin rush <laughs> like this is it I've, yes I was wearing a costume yes I had an accent yeah. <laughs> I was doing a funny voice still like yeah <laughs> but, uh, but they laughed and it was um, I was like okay I, I mean obviously like I said a huge fan uh, coveting that kind of um, you know relationship with the audience where it's just it's like hand-to-hand combat you know you're right sure. there it's not you know I I get my whole hunting gear together and my uh, laser sight and my you know that's my kind of combat you know but you guys are out there hand-to-hand and, and so I have so much respect for it and it was and it was but I was very welcome I was felt very welcome by that world like they were uh, just so they fit right in 
with what sure. they were doing at that sure. time, which is this kind of what they called alt comedy. Okay. No one was making any money. They were all writing for the, the shows that, mm-hmm. that run in New York. All the writers for the shows would come down. David Cross would come down. Janine Garofalo would come down. Like everybody would, was just doing bits that they would write for just that show that night. Yeah. So eight minute bits stand on their own kind of pieces and not doing kind of joke and maybe trying in some jokes. I mean it depended on who was doing it and what they were into, but but I mean you just saw such raw first run and only run material every mm-hmm. single night. And um and then I would come out and do a costume and joke and just fit in. It fit and people loved it. I mean I mean you know the comedians were really behind it and uh um I, you know, Did because you think- it was, and also I think also because there was no, we were not in direct competition with each other. There, yeah. there was something about being. These guys were a lot of them writers, mm-hmm. and so you know, so I think that was part of the thing, um, that that made it easy on me to be part of that scene without any kind of uh, attitude. I got no sure. attitude. Sure, and I mean maybe I don't would hazard a guess because you're writing in for the Mario character. That's the only time I've seen you do the equivalent yeah. of stand-up stuff. That writing is very strong. So presumably, if you were going out there and getting laughs before anyone knew you were a juggler, you kind of won their respect in maybe a way that wouldn't have happened if someone came out and was like doing a juggling spot. Yeah, yeah, I think so, and it's it's not. Yeah, I think that's true because also, I mean, if 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 you do what we call in the street business uh, pattern. Mm-hmm. That's something different, where you're sort of sure. talking and doing juggling. And now I look at and this, now, and yeah. now, and if you and want to see this, let me hear you say yeah, like, yeah. Or, or, yeah, or this is juggling in San Francisco. And, yeah. You know, it's like, uh, <laughs> that, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it was, it was more... Um, it was yours yours are much more like one-liners. Like, you know, yeah, like, yeah. it's not it a surprise to me to hear that you were interested in Woody Allen when you were a kid, you know, yeah. because they're, they're short, tight jokes. You're a line about... I mean, one of my favorites is the one about... Uh, you know, it's not a good idea for me to take ecstasy while I do my show. Yeah. I learned that the fantastic yeah, way. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. That's a wonderful joke, you know. Yeah, thanks. So this is Clark. Towards the end of the show, you'll find an extra 10 minutes tacked on from a secondary sort of, sort of a backup interview that I did with Clark. More explanation on that at the time. Uh, I'm enjoying spreading my wings a bit here to include some very different types of comedians other than just stand-up. I'll be chucking some clowns in there, some variety performers as well, uh, and there'll be some musical acts, double acts and so on coming up. As you will hear, Clark is a lot more respectful of stand-ups than certain bearded, naked, sweating clowns I could name. So even if you found the interview with Phil Berger's a bit challenging, please don't be put off. Uh, I don't think you should be put off. I've got a bit more respect for you, my dear listener, uh, than that. But uh, just don't panic if you're one of the people that's like, oh, bloody clowns, hate stand-up. I think there's a lot to learn here from someone who, if you haven't seen him, you should definitely seek out. If you need to get in touch with me, it's info at comedianscomedian.com or you can tweet at comcompod. I've been enjoying loads of your correspondence. Uh, I try to get back to it whenever I can. Um, And at the moment, most of my uh, focus and attention is on trying to find you amazing international and Australian acts uh, here at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival so I'll get busy with that there is a new live show like the Acaster one that we did it will star Mr Benny Boot I'm very pleased to uh, tell you that's now on tickets will be available very soon from the link on the Facebook page so check there that's not for a long time it's not till Wednesday the 29th of May but there are a very limited number of seats it's a, it's a room that we've picked in conjunction with Crack Comedy run by the lovely Eric McElroy um, so the there is a finite last time I tried to do it the other way around so you booked and then I booked a space based on how many of you there were this time there is a finite number of seats of something like a hundred or maybe just under so I think if you don't know Benny Boot 
um, then you should immediately look him up on uh, on the Googles. And he is just, he's just one of my favourite comics. He's so exciting. And he's one of those people who I feel like I'm bagsying now because he's definitely going to be massive. So Wednesday the 29th of May, that's Benny Boot. Tickets available from the link on the Facebook page. I shall now return you to Clark McFarlane. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> Did you ever want to pursue stand-up? When you, when you felt that rush, did you think, did any part of you think, hang on, I could, I could put this stuff down and go for this? Or was it... Um, I already knew it was too late. Um, I know what makes a, a great stand-up in it. And you have to start. You have to be doing it. You have to be needing to do it by the age 16 to 19. Okay. I think so. To be great. And There's I, a lot I of was, new ex listeners to this who are older than that, and right now their hearts are breaking. But no, I'm not disagreeing with you. <laughs> I was 32 when I did that. Yeah. And okay. I had already been a, a variety performer and a street performer, and I had a whole business of going over to Europe and doing things, learning my show in other languages, going up. I mean, my whole my whole career and business was somewhere else. I mean, I didn't. Mm. I may have thought I wanted to be a stand-up as a sort of the same way. At one point, I thought I'd want to be an actor. Yeah. But I also had a very sort of strict, waspy upbringing that said, you need to make money at mm -hmm. what you do. And, uh, and you, you know, I, I, I always had a commercial uh, um, sense of, of um, you know, my creation process early on was completely commercial. I, I, when with the street shows you know mm -hmm. get a high unicycle light the damn torch on fire make money mm -hmm. travel around I mean it was just it, I was just saying the other day it would be afraid I was afraid what I wouldn't have done to make that lifestyle work it was so much fun in my 20s to do that but so by the time I was I was starting to trust myself as an artist to actually create shows but it was always going to be in the outdoor arena it was always going to be in the variety arts uh, so just straight stand up I find Clark actually quite boring you, you'll, you'll find that when you re-listen to this podcast uh, that Clark is boring and, and I on stage Clark talking to an audience for whatever an hour making jokes being this guy like stand up sure. I, can't, I, don't, I can't picture it it's I like can. I'm just I want to be three dimensional I want to be this other thing and, and have people you know I want to I invite them into this theatrical world of, of, of this of this uh, of whatever it is it's got to have for me you know music and costume and stuff I like that world I, I like okay. it so just you know jeans and a t-shirt coming out talking about uh, internet porn I can't do it I don't yeah. I can't I just don't I'm not it's not interesting to the audience or me so what do you get out of your performances what do you what is it that drives you obviously cash. you know there's no, cash no, well no, there's no. a commercial aspect absolutely not I mean yeah it, it oh I I um uh, 
it's I find like what I'm bringing to to the to the game is a, a great deal of love uh, and and happiness as Mario like when yeah. I come when I'm out as Mario he's the most beamingly positive sure kind of and that's what I really like about the 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 image is that at first people are very scared by the costume it's quite uh, maybe yeah as the years go by it's less and less um, but it, I think in 2005 it was very scary uh, to people um, dressing up like a leather daddy and standing mm. on a suitcase on a, <laughs> no, on a pitch sure yeah that's a good point actually I suppose I've, I've seen it most recently so many times in a Spiegel tent or in a yeah. venue actually to think of you doing that standing on a case in yeah. the street that's, and it's that's scary quite to the audience as well it's kind of confronting when I come out with the little pants on and everything and the people are like what is it, you know, what is this going to do and what I really like is then to subvert that by being um, uh, a compl- I, and I can even go more over the top beaming mm. with this positivity because I'm wearing the costume and the costume can be even tighter because I'm beaming with this kind okay, of thing okay. so I like that the interplay between those things and, and uh, so that's what I, I get out of that surprise and, and that kind of um, uh, I like I like that dynamic that I can create in someone's mind while they while they see me and then hear me speak and then and I, I just really like that uh, um, that combination of things um you know, those are my ideas. Like, I, I really, and that's what I love. That's why I covet about stand-up is that these ideas that people are coming out with. It's mm. beautiful. It's philosophy. I mean, it's, you know, the stand-up, you know, the Mel Brooks, the stand-up philosophy, and um, and uh, and to come up with these concepts that just make people laugh, and 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 uh, I really uh, enjoy that. But the way I kind of create my ideas for people, what I, um, it's uh, it's less in the words, I guess. Do you? Feel is there any is there any downside to the success that you've had with Mario? Do you feel trapped in having made something brilliant? No, um, I'm I'm lucky because because of the Soiree show. Um, oh, you just totally baited me to be such a wanker. You're like, did you? <laughs> I just heard the last bit of your question now in my head as I was answering that. What what were you saying about <laughs> what were you saying about yes, the brilliantness? Oh, the downside of brilliance. Oh. Men no, I just, I, I just, what, what, I, what I had in mind no, was, yeah, you were I, saying you were making a new, a new thing with a goth hula hooping or yeah, new shows, yeah. new work. Yeah. And because I just, because I think what I'm getting at is, you've spent a long time doing this character, yeah. and doing it brilliantly. When I took my friends to see the soiree the other night, I'm watching the same actors I've seen, and it's honed and it's brilliant. There was a comic on I had on the show called Noel Britton, who's like oh, a yeah. variety. If you know Noel, oh, yeah. Street, yeah. yeah, sure. Well, he's wonderful, but he, he talked about something which no one else had spoken about. I'm surrounded by my my day to day fellow performers are people who turn over a lot of material. Yeah, Noel was talking about spending twenty years sharpening one act. Yeah, to, to like an invisible point. Yeah, know? and it was interesting seeing you and Frodo's yeah. uh, tennis racket act as well. And, and just sort of going, I've seen this before, and it's subtly different and yeah. better and more warm and more Yeah, it's interesting. Engaging. And, the, and that's what I always say about La Soiree. You know, we just did finish 79 shows. And the Opera House is so beautiful and the whole thing. I was joking that um, I would like to maybe continue on at the Opera House in some way if I could have a job that where I show up for two hours and work for 14 minutes during those two hours. <laughs> like, what could I do? Could I clean an ice machine for 14 minutes and then just have my lunch break? And, no, no, that doesn't exist, a job like that. It was just, yeah. uh, it was, and that's what ke- keeps me going. But 79 shows, eight shows a week, every single night, delivering, 
the exact same jokes in the exact same order. Mm. Still, it's hard. It's yeah. really, really hard. And I don't complain about it because it's also so small-mindedly hard. It's hard like a marathon running or, you know, it's like, I just got to run. I got to do it. I got to do it. I mean, it's not like <laughs> I, I, it's, it's, uh, it's becomes acting really. It becomes a, a, it's not comedy at all anymore. It's, it's, um, it's definitely, it, it's much more close to, to what actors do, which okay. is to g- try to create this, uh, feeling and moment again. And, uh, you know, in a live audience situation. Um, yeah, I mean, these guys that are doing the tough plays every night and doing yeah. the same, you, know, you don't, you don't improvise when you're doing, you know, uh, the Sydney Opera House. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> like, or man, you know, you're, you're saying the words that are off the page. And that's the thing that makes it, at least, the thing that makes it doable for me, um, you know, and it's just these stupid little jokes, first of all, and it's just four minutes it's the what makes it doable is that first of all I wrote the stuff second of all the audience is there every night eager laughing just yeah. loving it just yeah. the energy in that room for, because the soiree is, is just, just creates this atmosphere mm-hmm. the audience is so happy every night so you just you just like they bring it and you you yeah. if you're not into it backstage you are into it on the stage yeah like full stop and so that's and that's what's that's what's so great also about this gig is it's just it's it's a hot knife through butter almost every night yeah and um and that really but it is hard it's it's really and I do visualizations like I was joking I have a visualization where Mario kills Clark physically okay and because I, when I'm on stage and I'm more Clark than Mario I I can really feel it and I, I'm I'm looking out the crowd and I'm oh thinking and I'm not happy I'm not not doing the joy that Mario needs and I'm uh, I'm just Clark on stage in a very subtle but real way so backstage before I go on I've been I've been Mario breaks Clark's neck and leaves him or he stabs him I see by visualizations you mean pre-show yeah I have a visualization where I actually kill Mario is strangling the regularly dressed Clark to death and then I can go on stage as he's gone he's not in me he's totally gone he's dead he's dead and does that work yeah oh definitely well it's this kind of like um, yeah it just sort of it's like a trans. it becomes a sort of transformation like I try to and you know and actors have you know I mean if I was a real actor, I'd be warming up for an hour beforehand, getting sure. into character, doing f- physical and vocal warm-ups and stuff like that. And I am doing... What I'm doing is, is even though it's a very... <laughs> just a bit part in the play of La Soiree, I'm, it is... It's acting. It's, it's what I'm doing is acting. So I should probably warm that up more other than just panicked visualizations of killing the, uh, the, my regular persona. Is that healthy, do you think, to imagine your character killing yourself? Oh, yeah. Enough? Oh, yeah. It's fine. It's just an imagination. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do myself in. I'm looking forward I to want... this being played on the radio when you snap and kill the other members of the squad. Well, we knew. Exactly. Yeah. The one that suicide. Oh, wow. That way, he did kind of... There were signs. Mm. So, did, so before then, when you're backstage... Do you feel that you switch it on? You're 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 yeah. quite low key backstage. You're not kind of zoning yourself in, and then you just have a moment of going. Here we yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. There's ways. Yeah, we kind of get psyched. We psych each other up. It's a great atmosphere between the in the dressing room with the with the other acts, and we're joking mm-hmm. around, and we you know just being just like it's like a college fucking locker room sometimes back there with the with the way we carry on. But uh, and then yeah, very short amount of time before I go on stage, I I sort of become what I will be as close to Marionis that night 
just right before I go on stage. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> sure. But um, yeah, no, it's it's uh, the other thing about doing it seventy shows uh, in a ten week period, eighty shows, is the skills get incrementally better. And that's okay. really nice. As a skill, I'm still a juggler. I still, I really, I love the fact that I can um, uh, find new things with that act. That 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 gets incrementally better, mm-hmm. while the comedy and some of the vulnerable stuff slowly erodes. <laughs> Do you think pitch. so? That's yeah, interesting. Sometimes, okay. I mean, you know, it's not, I don't hit. I don't hit certain pitches every. Night. I mean, there's that one speech I do, which is very hard to really nail. Um, and with, which the, one's with that? the We Are the Champions um, speech. Oh, about killing the animals. Yeah, which is this sort of ironic thing um, that I wrote while I was listening to a lot of David Cross, actually. I would, would completely cite him as a. It is uh, quite David Cross, isn't yeah. it? I'd never noticed that. Yeah, before. yeah, yeah. It's yeah, just yeah. that thing, like, you know, he has that whole bit about, um, uh, you know, this is just so over the top, wrong, ironic about how uh, eight year old boys are asking for it. Okay. When the priests, you know, just with their little innocent sure, thing. And sure, it's just sure. so wrong. And the audience is just like, yeah. and I never go that far, but I just love the idea about going that far because obviously people. he's joking. Like it's, yeah. it's so, it's so, cr- like, it's so cartoonishly yeah. awful what yeah. he's saying. But it's so funny because he said it, and it's, I love that kind of thing. So, um, and what yes. you're doing with it is your what your speech says is we are the champions, and people sort of you trick people into thinking it's a thing. Yeah. about, Hey, listen, we are the champions, so really we should be killing all the animals. Yeah. We're in charge of them. We can they, just kill them. Yeah, we can kill animals. The, the idea that you know we're all and and and, and what it, the idea of that also uh, is for me is that is that. Uh, any dogma, any any kind of thing where you say like everything's going to be all right if we just do this way, and and that will always break down. There's a philosophical sure. end to every kind of argument that makes everything okay in our human mind that really doesn't is not consistent. It it it, it that's just the way the world is. There there is no fully consistent answer to our problems, and so once sure. someone starts to pontificate like that and just go, oh. You know, and I just I get really cynical, and so and so to to make that left hook is such a pleasing thing to do every night, and to hit the tone with them, the almost crying. If, if the audience is really almost a tear in their eye when I say when I say that there's a human heart beating mm-hmm. within us all, if I hit that tone, and then the left hook is just such a great pleasure. And I still, <laughs> again, a small minded pleasure. Eighty shows in ten weeks, like I do the same lines. I've done that joke forever. I actually can say that that whole speech in five languages. Really? Yeah. Which yeah. are the languages? Italian, French, German, Spanish, and English. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you were saying that's one of the hardest bits to get right? Yeah. And why, why is that, do you think? Because it's sort of a dramatic journey. It has to amp. You're still sort of listening to where the audience is hearing it, and so you're still sort of reacting to that while you're saying it, but it has to sort of just keep building, building, building. And, and, then, you, and then that sensitivity of really getting to that, really trying to connect on a real, in a real way that... And it's a big thing to say, like, mm. um, there's a human heart within us all. And some people don't want to hear that at that moment in the show sure. at all. It works better in my full-length show when they're really with you. Yes, yes. It works I much better. Yeah. Um, I can hit it. And, and, and I'm more into it. I'm fully, you know, I, again, just come from backstage and I'm there trying to give this Mario uh, performance. 
Um, yeah, so it's 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 just difficult. I mean, it's acting. It's like a it's a monologue, and I'm not an actor, and uh, <laughs> it's uh, I'm a variety. I'm a juggler. But it's it's kind of your most it's your most stand up bit, really. When you're talking about it, then it's 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 a concept. You're you're yeah. Yeah, leading yeah. us, you know, on a, on a conceptual journey where you're yeah. trying to prove the opposite of something, yeah, right? Right. Almost, and that's very that's a very stand up. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and I think I and I and I really like I I really every night and the way I get there every night at least you know halfway or seventy percent I try is because I find it really funny. Yeah, <laughs> every night I think it's really funny. I really it made me almost collapse with laughter when I thought of it. Right, driving my truck around, I was I thought I remember when I thought of it and I thought, oh my god, that, that's funny. I I'm gonna write that. <laughs> Let's talk about writing then. Let's talk about where the where the written stuff comes from, where the verbal stuff comes from. How much of that your your one liners? Are there any of those improvised, or did you sit down and write them and try them out? What's the process? For you? Um, yeah, I, th- I thought you were going to ask me this, and and it and I'm sure a lot of stand up comedians would love to hear how I can come up with almost two jokes a year. <laughs> um, yeah, almost two jokes a year. Um, <laughs> My process. No, I, I should write more. I, I write when I'm really I should tired. point out at this juncture, almost no stand-up that I've ever interviewed considers themselves to have a specific process. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I write when I'm tired. I'm, I, like, yeah, I'm, I, I do... I think I've only ever written when I'm totally jet-lagged and up at three in the morning. Okay. Um, that's when something happens to my brain that makes... That dreamlike really state. Funny. Yeah, the dreamlike... Yeah. But I really... Um, it basically, if I think of something to say or a, or a way that Mario can talk about something, which is not a lot of topics he can talk about. He can't talk about his family or the internet or he can't talk about... Uh, he can talk a little bit about the internet as long as it's seriously gross. Why do you say that? Why do you say he can't talk about his family? Um, well, his real family. I can't talk about my... Oh, you're sure. I understand, yeah. yeah. Um, but you could invent a family for Yes, he, is, he has... Yeah, he does have jokes about his mother and, and stuff and... Um, and, and but I guess so once I find a topic that he can he can talk about um, I get really excited and then um, I start thinking about things and once something happens in my brain that actually makes me laugh right as I thought of it mm-hmm. then that's that's the only thing that's ever made it to the stage if I don't laugh okay. I, if I don't actually physically it makes me laugh when I think of it sure. really laugh I mean not just kind of think oh that's a joke yeah, that could be kind of good. But actually, when it surprises me enough to make me physically laugh at the moment, then that's that's the only things I ever say on stage are things that have made me laugh. That's fascinating. That I, I really I can really uh, appreciate that. I think no stand-up I've had on the show has said that before, but I think that's a big part of the process. There is a certain feeling in you write something, it makes you laugh, yeah. and you want to ring someone and tell them. Yeah. I mean, they're that yeah. thing. But that's fascinating to think that you're, because of the nature of your act and the nature of yourself, your quality control is so high that only that stuff does it. So you don't, you don't ever try out any stuff. Yeah, that I don't. I mean, I, I guess, or, or if, I'm, if, if there's something in there that leads me laugh, maybe there's some pre-jokes that... That, that I could say and I do try stuff and in those days when I was doing those nights with the with the downtown comics or whatever mm-hmm. I would get up and say different kinds of things and um, and and kind of go do sort of bit style stuff more stand up kind of where it's a whole I'm talking about a topic for a while <laughs> not mm-hmm. just sort of making a, a joke but um, and and that was the struggle was because a lot of that stuff was was uh, not 
Mario, uh, Mario can't really talk about a lot of that stuff. It doesn't really fit. Like, why? And my, I mean, I stand up one set after a, a set I did. Um, there, he was like, "Why do you, why do you hide behind your mustache?" And uh, you know that stuff. You, you that that material that doesn't really fit the character. Like what you were doing. You were talking about like Thanksgiving dinner or something. You know, the holiday okay. in America. And he, and I'm like, well, and I used the old. The, there's a clown. Um, sort of saying the red nose on a clown is, is not they're not hiding behind the nose it makes the audience see them more yeah okay and um but he was right in a way because the, that but it wasn't to not do mario it was not to do that material yeah <laughs> sure okay <laughs> I want to talk a little bit more, if we can, about... Because cause I simply can't imagine doing the same act for that length of time. Yeah, yeah. And, but I, I suppose in a kind of way I can, because I've got a street show that I've done thousands of times. Yes, yeah, yeah. And it's been interesting for me being at this festival doing stand-up every night, and for that weekend of the festival doing street shows every day, and yeah. kind of recognising the difference between them. Mm. I think my own street show, by its very nature, is very haphazard and improvisy, and there's a couple yeah. of jokes in it, but there are, I guess there are a few jokes in it, original jokes, which I've said hundreds and hundreds of times. So I do recognise that the pleasure in getting the rhythm yeah. just right this yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And there's certainly acts, there's, there's, there's comics I know from the circuit who, who are people who do the same 20 minutes all the time. Yeah, um, but how do you cope when you you just talked about it like being a marathon, doing eighty shows yeah. at the Sydney Opera House? How do you cope mentally with doing that? Is yeah. it just that it's such a short amount of time? I mean, is it is it is it difficult to? Yeah, I mean, it's it's like I said, it's such a good gig. I mean, I'm a variety performer. I should be uh, sweating it out doing. Um, you know, you don't know what it's like. I mean, you do know. You you do know the the kind of gigs that variety performers can do. Tell us. We we as an audience don't oh, know what it's like. Tell oh, us, like, I could tell do. I mean, in America, variety arts, you're, you're the, the, the 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 holy grail. The best thing you can do as a variety performer in America is to work on cruise ships <laughs> or colleges. College okay. tours. So you're doing this one hour. You're you're little bright. I don't know. I mean, I, I've just never gotten into that market. I have been. And that's presumably that's lucky. traveling everywhere. If you're doing colleges, that's one night. Yeah, in you a go out. Place, right, exactly. You're world. flying out and doing these things. And I guess they're good shows. It depends on you know whatever where you could be in you know the cantina one night or in the big theater the other night. You know, mm. and these these gigs and I mean you know and cruise ships. Don't get me started. I mean, I, I just couldn't imagine. I, I don't. Uh, I'm very lucky. Who knows? I might end up on cruise ships eventually, just because. Uh, that's just this gig that everybody does. I mean, I have, I mentally, every single day, I thank my lucky stars. I'm in a show like La Soirée. It's it's mm -hmm. just such a it's such a pleasure. It's such a pleasure to be in in that show. It is. I, I think I am. Uh, what has made me not a great juggler and not a great stand up and not uh, a great really a, you know full stop say street performer. Mm -hmm. Has is the same thing interplay in my small mind that goes. <laughs> oh, I get to do the show again. Yeah, I'm just like that. I, I have pleasure from that. I, I really do. I love. I love to do it. So it's it's um it, it becomes extremely easy in a way, and it's like oh, you're on vacation in Sydney for ten weeks basically. I mean sure. the whole day, you're just hanging out. It's it's fun. And, uh, and and someone else is doing all the work. I mean, I've been I've self-produced. I've done I've do, I organized my own tours in Europe, and it's just a pain in the butt. 
you know, when someone else is doing everything for you, you just mm-hmm. show up on time. It's all, yeah. all you have to do. So, uh, but you're right. I mean, it, it um, that magic of creating and doing stuff and being around Adelaide, of course, you know, and seeing everybody doing their thing. And I mean, I, um, I try to create outlets for myself, like the new Mario Street Show and the the new character, where I can do a different weird nights. You know, the weird lineup nights that mm-hmm. variety is not frowned upon. I do my little shtick and do new stuff there, and host things and try to try to keep keep Mario alive in in, in other ways. But uh, that that eight shows a week is the gig of gigs for me. It's so it's such a great uh, it's such such fun to be a part of it. One of the biggest things that I think I struggle with as a comic, and I'm in a very privileged position, but certainly here being in Australia is fantastic. Um, I'm I'm very lucky to be working full time. That's my whole income. Yeah. It comes from stand up comedy. But one of the things I struggle with the most with this job is the constant travel. Yeah, and the difficulty of maintaining relationships and yeah. thinking to myself, oh, I want a kid one day. This, yeah. How's this going to fit in with all of this? Yeah. Do you do you find that difficult? Yeah, I mean, um, the we went on a, a very long European tour this year, my wife and I, with her with her uh, at the time just under two year old. Okay. The seven months leading up to his second birthday. And your wife is a performer as well. Yes, she's a, a, an actress and a clown and a variety performer and, and a director. Uh, she's my director. It's great to travel with your director. She keeps it really... She totally reels it in when it's eroding, which is great. Sure. And she's here with you now? Uh, no, no. She's at home. We have a place in Brisbane now. So, okay. Um, and she's about to pop with a second baby. So, wow. Um, yeah, so it's it It was pretty intense. It That tour went on too long. Uh, that was really intense. We were able to start a family and be together because... This Lacleth La Soiree thing sits sure. in different cities for quite a length of time. So yes, we were in London for nine sure. months. She was working professionally as an actress in London while we were there, and we were in Paris for a while. And and we and she was coming back to Australia to do um, acting work, and um, uh, she'd be gone for um, a month or two doing her thing. And and so we were able to um, just continue a relationship to the point of uh, reproduction, which is, uh, yeah, I feel really lucky. I've sort of had the best of both worlds. I was in a double act for years with my partner. Uh, I think you met yes, my, ex, yeah, yeah. my ex-wife. And I mean, we made it, our baby was the show and we just worked so hard on the show all the time. And we were touring around and just, it was, we were in each other's pockets 24 seven. And, and uh, so it just, it, that was really uh, not the atmosphere for, for a, a third party being our, child we were just so obsessed with the show and, mm. and that stuff and, and eventually our relationship uh, ended but uh, you know now with with both of us doing different things and, and, and involved with different projects and able to at least stay in one city for for months on end um, yeah we've really made it work I, I feel really lucky to, to sure. also about that uh, because yeah it's a huge huge issue um, and in the variety world, for sure, people people are people. Variety artists who are together, they're spending. Some guys doing, you know, five months in Macau while this yeah. girlfriend is in, you know, on Cirque du Soleil tour in Canada. And, sure. I mean, you know, it's it gets very very complicated. And so yeah, I feel very lucky that um, I've been able to sustain a relationship for and reproduce. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say that you were a workaholic? Yeah. 
I was. <laughs> you were. Okay. I was recovering. Um, no, I've always got something going on. I, I was. I was. I was known as the street performer that did all the shows would show up. That's kind of how yeah. I remember first yeah. hearing about you. Yeah. So, what what motivated that? Why were you working so hard? Oh, financial. I mean, I think that everything I do now in my modern career comes from what I learned as a street performer, and and not just the way to do a street show, but mm-hmm. definitely. Um, there's a kind of, uh, like I said, I mean, the, you know, you can deconstruct the this, this street and what makes an audience stop and what makes an audience interested. And, um, and so I, I, just by doing that many shows, I felt like I laid a pretty strong groundwork um, for, for my modern career. And, um, and, and, and also the idea that um, every opportunity to perform, I would take mm-hmm. so I'm still doing shitty spots shitty spots my, my spots shitty in it uh, you know doing this you know the new the goth character doing the new Mario street show and stuff it's it's like um, taking every opportunity to perform sure and uh, and that I guess you could call that workaholic gazoozism. I call it um, uh, practice I think a lot of people, when they are workaholics in the, well, I don't know if there is a proper sense of the word, I don't know if it's a real thing or just a thing. Um, I, and I certainly recognize this in my own practice, my own uh, workaholism sometimes, is that it comes from a place of unhappiness. That yeah. intensity, actually, there's something that I'm desperate for. No, I think you confuse it, that's alcoholism. <laughs> <laughs> well, all, all the holisms, I think, come yeah. from a similar route. <laughs> Let's just look quickly at your background. For yeah. you say you were juggling before you had hair on your nuts. Yes, yeah, so, your right, yeah. How I, come? Uh, I started juggling. My brother was doing it, and uh, and he was doing magic with his kids on the street. And he was six years older than me, and he was being a nerdy magician with uh, some just bit of juggling. And then I learned as a I learned when I was ten years old, and then. Um, and was always performing. I always loved to perform. I was in acting, like I said, that I was Tiny Tim. <laughs> and then that was started a, a paid career. Um, college, doing shows, uh, doing, I was in a comedy troupe, the improv comedy troupe. We knew nothing about improv. Improv was terrible, but we would invent these um, pretty, I'm still proud of the work we were doing. There was some John Lennon's in that, that crew. There was a guy who's still writing plays now okay. in, uh, in, in America. He, very talented person he was he was uh, he, he would come up with these amazing concepts for skits and we were just we had such a good time never considered it a career everybody okay. was going off to uh, one guy one guy went to write plays another guy went to um, do Second City mm-hmm. and still tours with them and does internet films as he's Andy Cobb and Eric um, Pfeffinger 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 um, and we and I still I was like I'm going to grad school and then um I took a year off, went to Colorado, met up with perform, met up with some jugglers out there, and there was a pitch, a street pitch out in Colorado that I started sort of working on, and and then this idea to go to Europe happened, and over in Europe. So you had a street show at that time. Kind, no, I was just sort of juggling with a case open. Okay. Like a like a saxophone player or something on a street corner, and I had no idea about a show. I went to Amsterdam the following summer after graduating from college, and I met professional street performing and I thought okay so either I go to grad school and spend the next five to eight years getting some kind of degree and I've, by the way I've just spent the last 17 years in school mm-hmm. or 
travel the world, have fun, juggle, make people laugh, and party. I mean, that's what I mean by it was. I would be afraid of what I wouldn't have done. I completely stole my finale for on a high unicycle from okay. Richie Rich. Yeah, I did the whole uh, eat the apple on the high unicycle and didn't have any qualms about stealing that mm-hmm. whole routine. Just went out and never did it on his pitch, but I went out, sure. did it on these small little towns all over Europe and just traveled and lived large. And then in the, the wintertime, went back to Colorado and, and had enough money to sit on my butt and have a ski pass. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my friend was growing hydro up the way. And it was just a great period of amazing uh, love affair with a whole new lifestyle coming sure. out of college and the whole expectation and the whole thing. And I was making my own money by performing and never looked back. And it was only a few years later that I got so sick of my street show I couldn't even hear myself say it. It tasted disgusting on my mouth when I'd go out there because I was doing so many shows. And, and then I met my future ex-wife and we did a, we did a show together. And, okay. and then coming out of that relationship, that's when I did actually the Gaulier School, uh, just, just the clown part of that. And um, that, that was a real kick in the butt. Um, Did you find, I mean, was, I, it, was that hard work, Goliath? I mean, from oh, yeah. little I know of it, it's famously painful and difficult. Oh, it's, yeah, it was hard for me. Some people were having a really good time of it. I learned in clown school that I'm not a clown. Um, yeah. I touch clowning. I, I would like, an, again, another music analogy. I play rock and roll, and clowns are in the orchestra. Okay. And there are moments of, you know, even, even in the dumb three-chord song, I can have moments of virtuosity, you know, but I'm not first violin. Yeah. And, and I, I have so much respect for clowns. Because what we're getting from an audience is their approval. And they can, be, they can do it in so many ways. They can be impressed with us. They can, be, they can laugh. They can, they can cry. They can, you know, clap and stuff. But, but clowns get an approval when they work it's like it's you become like they're your best friend it's, mm. it's a, an approval in such a deep level mm. because they see your flaws they're, they're, they're part of your, your, your they get to you your personality and uh, and that is and that's what a best friend is someone you know you, it's like you you, you, you can't um, you know love someone who's perfect as they say so it's it's this kind of thing and and I just, I love, I, I really I love to watch clowning and be around it and, and stuff, but, but boy, golly, it was a kick my butt. I was really uh, not a clown. Um, but I did learn something. That on the last day of Gallier, we all put on each other's costumes because you're given a costume um, t- towards the beginning that you have to live in the entire time. Okay. Um, and that's, you're, you're not that, but you're a clown as that. And so that, that's kind of, and that just brings out sort of, you know, you can start to go with material, whatever. I was a golfer. So okay. I was sort of this pompous golfer thing. And um, the last day we switched costumes with people. And no one wanted my costume because I hadn't been on stage hardly at all. Because he was yeah. been on stage as, as, as long as you are good. And he yeah. beats a drum. So for over three weeks I spent like 15 seconds on stage. <laughs> and um, so we switched it. But there was this one dude and I just could, I imitated this guy to a T mm-hmm. and no one even remembered that that's what he was like and then I put his costume on and I, I was doing him perfectly and killing like the first time I'd ever killed yeah. and I was like oh right I'm character yeah okay. <laughs> I'm okay. not a clown I'm character <laughs> that's my good thing I can imitate I do voices and physicality I don't it's, it's much from the I, I need to put that stuff on from the outside that shit from the inside that clown from the inside just doesn't uh, I can't uh I can't translate 
that clown into mm. performance. I'm, you know, it's a, uh, and again, uh, with financial motivation as a lot of the things I, I do, if, you know, I, I'm working with my limitations to create something that is, is uh, people want to see. And so, yeah. Do you feel with Mario, do you feel nailed it? I mean, you must, you must feel like you've nailed Mario. You've, like, you're doing something which is commercially successful, which makes you happy, which makes audiences happy. So oh, and you're yeah. killing it every night. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, I definitely feel like, uh, I feel really lucky that, that I came upon something like that. And it, and it did come from um, a lot of, uh, you know, yeah, like the, the the groundwork that I laid with the with the double act and with the street performing and everything, it kind of evolved into this. And I mm-hmm. and what was lucky about Mario, it was this the next project, but it was completely filled with everything I had done up to that point. Mm-hmm. So so I got to use instead of going on a different tangent, it was actually it was it was a uh, a complete uh, piece of evolution from from day one. Yeah. that time so so I got to use all of the successful things that I had come up with from from the beginning and um, and yeah so then that way uh, uh, yeah I was extremely extremely lucky that I found something that fit um, in a thing and New York I mean and it was so inspiring being in New York and seeing all these you know the performance art for performance art's sake these guys I mean it gave me a lot of um, power uh, it gave me a lot of force like uh, or to watch people like Chris Razi, who is a great character comedian in um, in New York, and um, he's doing a thing called Tiny Confessions now, which is all over the internet. He sells okay. these pictures, Tiny Confessions. <laughs> just okay, I'll definitely just, do that. Oh my god, he's he's genius, and and so he was doing all this stuff at that time, and all the stand-up comedians and all the um, variety performers back then, and just being in New York, being around that. Um, you in the world of marketing an act so much of the time you're asked to be doing something like something else okay so you want if you're if I'm a I'm a a freak show guy or something Mm -hmm. and I want to be like a freak show guy so they know what that is they market it they people know they ask for it so you're a freak show guy or you're a um, a Cirque du Soleil aerialist Mm -hmm. or something so you're like you fit in a box yes yes I have been extremely lucky in my career to be asked to do something. Whatever I was doing, it was because it was different from everything else. Yes, okay. And that's, what been, that's been the motivation. That's been the, even the financial motivation for creating. I've been, I've been lucky enough not to have to create a finance. Uh, you know, at the beginning, of course, I was a street act, and I needed to look like a street act and do a street act thing, for sure. That was totally the financial motivation to be exactly like everyone else. But once I moved into the outdoor festival circuit, they want new acts. They want it to, to look different. They don't want to have seen it. Yes. They don't want that, that, you know, if you're doing a corporate party in LA for a movie opening, they have the theme of circus. So that you have to dress up in tights and be a circus thing. And, you know, you have to look like something and be a pegged. And uh, the market in Europe was so much about what is new. And that, that's been driving my creative process since since my early 30s and I've been that's that's really uh, I feel that's why I love that circuit so much it's always looking for the new thing (laughs) 
So um, we're just going to add a little bit to the conversation that we had the, the previous day. I'm now at Clark's house. Not the previous day, it was a week ago now. Yeah, it was a week ago. Uh, I'm at Clark's house, which is literally in a rainforest. Yeah. And we, we've just had some refried beans. And uh, we're going to just add another little five minutes on the end of this show on account of um, what I ran into the day after doing the podcast. You were very excited and you said that you'd made a note about comedy. Well, I was drunk and we were... <laughs> yeah, we, we were both drunk. Well, since, I mean, yeah, and I had listened to a bunch more of your podcasts as well and, and some people I admire talking about their process and things and, and, and still within the realm of me not being a real stand-up, I, I did start to take a look at, at uh, my goals and my things that I wanted to do and, and so, and I had this fringe... Uh, um, the best of fringe variety show to do so I could you know sort of stretch out and so I wrote this whole piece about the whatever the, that everything's a venue at the fringe and made a bunch of jokes and did this whole little bit and just felt so, it was so refreshing to do something outside of the those minutes that I do in soiree that have to be the same every night sure. and everything and then even took notes on other ideas and in my phone and stuff and it was just um, it was just kind of exciting to be and, and I think that happens when I get around these sort of festival atmospheres with everybody yeah, working and stuff but it definitely was it was sparked by our conversation and then you start, and then we started talking about um yeah, you wanted uh, more more of, of the the real story about how I feel doing that that same stuff every night and 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 what you know, I mean, and one thing I didn't obviously I didn't want to sound like a wanker um, by saying um, I do wank a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's you do sound that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess that makes me a wanker. No, but um, by saying that I work a lot, I mean, I've, I'm, I'm hired a lot and I've, I've, I refuse more work than I do. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't want to say that also to the because, and I think this is what excited you about having this extra five minutes is because, of course, in my deepest, darkest, um, in, in, in the back of my mind, I think I'm the only reason really anyone wants to hire Mario Queen of the Circus is because of Queen and sure. I bring to this uh, uh, the show uh, this this great soundtrack or this and I bring to an outdoor theater event a great soundtrack and, and people just um, you know I'm a cover band and, okay so that's that's the fear so that's the fear that's yeah. the dark voice saying yeah. they only want you because you're a cover band and, uh, and yeah and how can you think that how can you think they just want it for well, you're just a covers band well I mean I, look, no no one watching you could ever imagine that that's what you're well about. I mean I guess I, it, it's never really popped up as far as a direct criticism of what I do there was one reviewer in, in England for the um, for the the Hippodrome season that Luke mm-hmm. did on Leicester Square and he, he was it was kind of curmudge and didn't like much and he said I was a one joke or whatever the joke was over immediately or something um, I, it's never specifically about that it's in my mind because um, because it was a byproduct of my the it, it was never a, a commercial choice to use Queen it was a byproduct of, of need to make a whole act and I had one number and I wanted to sort of expand that into a thing and I even said if I make another number with Queen music then that's a, like a bad sequel that would be that would be rough sure, sure. in Terminator yeah. 2 it would be bad and my friend my this great musician in New York Cornmo said no it's not it's a theme it's not mm. a bad sequel it's a theme and I went right yeah it's a theme so I just sort of kept going with that idea and then once I had this product that was also in high demand and, and everything I mean I knew in this is in, in my heart of hearts I know that, that I've done the pre-work I've worked on the street for years and I've done enough indoor stuff to, to know my way around that 
to know that I'm giving something, I'm giving a, a product, but but of course you think, well, but I would just be still doing the same gigs that I always was if it weren't for the fact that that I've I've sort of borrowed this huge element of popular culture and kind of appropriated it as part of my <laughs> sort of thing, and um, so yeah, it's it's kind of like a. Um, it makes me think that using Queen music is an element of a, a, it's a dimension to what I do. It's sure. one of the things, and it does make it successful. And so, why not? I mean, why? Sure. What everyone else uses music in the variety arts, they use it everyone else uses music. music. They all use the most evocative, heart wrenching, yeah. or triumphant music they possibly could. Yeah, and if uh, I mean, there should be kind of a cap on how many numbers um, um, total Eclipse of the Heart can be used in, <laughs> um, but um, and um, but it's. Uh, but it does it does kind of you know appropriating an entire um, um, catalog as as my own is a bit it's a bit uh, yeah it 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 makes me smell myself a bit hacky definitely. Do you think you might smell yourself like that? Do you think that ever crosses the mind of any promoters? No, no, no. Uh, well, maybe I mean, but uh, there's definitely promoters that don't hire me. But but people people. I think more like that I've that I've appropriated it so that it, it, they can that they they can kind of present it, but um, uh, because it is it is it has that widespread appeal. Um, but I also like that there is this kind of with that widespread appeal. There is also uh, it's a very I mean Mario himself and that kind of character is kind of from the underground. It's from the sure. from the the basements of of bars and. Um, and he, that the whole the whole persona has has grown from underground theater. So so it was sort of maybe a way in. And it's not like I'm doing big commercial gigs anyway. So I don't even know why it bothers me. But I guess what I think is, what would it be without the Queen music? What would it, how would I survive without it? What would I what would I do? And I, I do like it. The, the longer I'm on stage before I play any Queen music, or even talk yeah. about Queen music, yeah. it's sort of I'm the happier I am, in that and for that for that reason but but to be honest I mean uh, to be really honest like you said I, I actually am really and uh, not complacent but definitely um, quite satisfied with my work up to this point because I don't I don't uh, I, I do like to have a very strong foundation for everything that I go and try and do sure. which is very safe I've always been pretty safe in that way so years of street performing before I ever tried to do a gig on street theater circuits. Years of street theater circuit before I ever really moved to my in, to make an indoor circus show, and then, mm -hmm. and then that you know then once I was indoors, um, and then crossing over with the character stuff. That it's been such a long process of of foundation building before I even try anything else, and so now, and now I mean with the foundation that I have, it's it's really. I feel like I have a voice. We were just talking about mm -hmm. um, in conversation just about personas and stand-up personas, and I think Mario does have a sort of a per stand up -y persona that I sure, could sure, definitely. Um, be doing. You know, not just like I'm going to make it as a stand-up now, but I mean, but sure. I can I can kind of cross back over into the world where he started, which was the like I said, mm -hmm. the New York alt comedy scene. But um, anyway, so I I mean, so with that, I mean, with that built foundation and just kind of the idea of adventure and also maybe getting moving a bit away from the queen 
stuff. Yeah, I'm going to write. I'm going to type into my phone and write more stuff for Mario. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've manipulated you into saying that. Um, Clark, we can't finish this interview until you thank me for yeah. how, how invigorating your process has been. Um, I just want to say very finally then, um, I'm just interested in how you, how you approach when you feel negative, when you occasionally have those flashes of, God, am I just a covers band? Do you have any kind of... What, what's your approach for dealing with that? Do you just shrug it off? Do you go, oh, it's just something, I think, forget it? Or do you ruminate on it? Or do you go, well, do you know what? Do you know something's got to change? Or No, I don't ruminate. I, I'm only asking because I think everyone that works in comedy has, has those moments, moments of... Anyone that works in performance has those moments of just having a flash and just going, what am I doing with my life? How am I... Yeah, how is well, this valid? Exactly. And I mean, you, you we have all need this, to get over that. Well, somewhere. because... And there's also that thing, I think it's not so much that oh I use the queen music it's 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 much deeper than that I mean it it it's it could it would be anything that would make you think well I'm not for real I'm not I'm not the real deal I I, I shouldn't actually have ever been a performer I'm I'm not I don't I'm not worthy because you see great performers all the time you see you're exposed to these you know incredible artists sure. that are creating it at at a rate that you could only dream about and 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 at a quality you could only dream about and so that's at the core of it obviously you're, you're thinking that yourself you yourself are are not really um worthy of the of the kind of uh, you know the the even doing the job that, that you're doing and uh and of course you think that once in a while and and i mean i guess i think i try just to to think about like I said, also, I mean, I, well, that works for me to think about. Well, I, I've, I'm the one turning the key. I, I go up there and I do yeah. react, and 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 uh, and when no one is there, that's you know, that's who's doing it, me. So, it's kind of like, and 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 I have been, and so I, hours of hours of of trying to draw a crowd in, in the most dodgy places, and the bright sun or whatever, or in the cold or in the in almost you know rainy weather all of those all of those hours are have built up in my mind as a as a kind of buffer against thinking I'm not the real deal because I have actually done it done I've paid my dues for real you know so I think think well you know I try to I I think that's why I did at that time log those hours and 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 I'll still log those hours I'll go out this weekend out in Brisbane and sweat my balls off doing that and, and you know and that's my penance for being being a, a fraud <laughs> <laughs> that was that was so positive I was like oh we got it this is the stuff I wanted <laughs> we ended on the word fraud you're not a fraud that's so that's but so lovely that's so way. I mean if you're not you know literally if we're not you know Shakespeare or Mozart we're frauds right I mean yeah <laughs> that's healthy <laughs> <laughs> but I uh, know of course I know exactly what you mean that that idea of you know what? What is the point in doing this? I mean, yeah. the, the one that, that is frequently mentioned amongst UK stand-ups will be someone like Daniel Kitson. Yeah. When, yeah. when you see oh, his exactly. stuff, and oh, you, yeah. you come out simultaneously elated and also feeling like, "What's the point?" Oh, what is the What's point? What's the point? Yeah, I know. Yeah, he does that to me too, and he's such a nice guy, the asshole. Yeah. <laughs> so, but so everyone has to everyone has to sort of find a place to be on that thing of going, "Okay, I can't be Shakespeare, Kitson, or Mozart." Yeah. Yeah. But. So what, would I rather that no one did any art and yeah, just yeah, those yeah, three yeah, guys exactly, did it until yeah. they died and then there was no more? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah maybe yeah, maybe yeah. that would be better. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm the guy who's going to dress up like a little, you know, little leather daddy with his midriff out and dance around juggling. I mean, no one's going to do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
This is a dark day for the Comedians Comedian podcast, dear listener. I can't believe I've just heard myself say the sentence, Shakespeare, Kitson or Mozart. I'm so sorry. I think the point we were trying to make is that when you see people be brilliant at your art, it sometimes makes you wonder why you bother. I might as easily have said... Arthur Lowe, David Shrigley and Carly Rae Jepsen. Let's not focus on putting those names in a sentence together. Anyway, I'm going to go and wash my mouth out. Uh, I really enjoyed that, so many thanks to Clark. I thought it was a great interview. The idea of him murdering, his character murdering him visually as an exercise before he goes on stage, uh, I think is something that makes me wish I had a character to try that with. So thanks to Clark. Many thanks to Santa's little helper, Sarah Grun, for her help uh, in sort of behind-the-scenes production-wise. And I will speak to you lot very soon hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.